Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Celestial Somology, where astronomy is viewed through the telescope of biblical prophecy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. It is good to be with you. Uh, we've got some jamming information for everybody. I am hyped. We are your hosts, Joe Musidla, Brian Ingram, and myself, Matthew Miller. It's good to get back in the saddle. We had an overwhelming response from our last broadcast on a possible extraterrestrial relocation. Really got people's gears turning. And I was rather quite surprised to get so many American responses. Um, in particular, uh, there was a gentleman from down south. Uh, he's an African-American, I guess is the political correct way to state it. Over the course of several days, he worked with his librarian uh, to seek these things out. After listening to Joe and I's broadcast, Rapture Ruckus. And lo and behold, um, well, he found what he found. He found the truth. And he started looking at things a different way and then... We did our last celestial somology on a possible extraterrestrial relocation. He went back to the library, asked the librarian to find everything she could on Jupiter's Grand Tack and the fifth gas giant Nice model. And sure enough, once all the information from NASA was placed in his hands, well, he was quite excited. <laughs> and... uh in lieu of that, Brian and I, you've heard us talk about, well, this particular star quite a few times. I have mentioned it offhandedly, but when you peer into the scripture and you know astronomy, there's a couple of things you need to realize that is very important with, well, epitaphs that Christ the King gave to himself. And that means a couple of things. That's why my first place that I looked was to the King Star. But beyond that, there is a greater point of view. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that tonight because in order for the next step to be taken as a possible place that is prepared for us by the Lord our God that would be greater in scope, and greater in testing than the children of Israel received, would have to be intergalactic. And really, when you peer into the heavens, I can come up with only one place. We're going to talk about that here tonight. So, let's get Joe on for his opening comments, and then Brian on his opening comments, their thoughts on this being a possibility. Of course, it may be their opinion that uh, this is completely off the charts, that this is uh, too fringe, it could never happen. I don't know. So 
you're going to find out their initial thoughts the same time I do, ladies and gentlemen. So, Joe, what's your opening thoughts about uh, this possible intergalactic relocation? Possible, not possible? Is it a dumb idea? You know, just just give it to us straight. I, you know, the the more uh, the more I look at things, and the more uh, I, I do study. Um, I don't know. I always come back to uh, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And uh, I, I can't even, you know, there there are times that my when I I, I contemplate different uh, scenarios or different ideas when I read uh, the scripture, and, and uh, it's overwhelming at times for my mind to try and comprehend. Uh, the vastness of 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 the Lord our God. So I don't think anything is impossible. Um, I, I, I you know the more uh, I, we look at this and the more I look at these things, it's well, it's, it's mind blowing and it's uh, very humbling to say the least. And it gets your gears turning in the right direction. Right. Like, um, well, like the work that you and I do on Rapture Ruckus. I mean, that's that's why we do it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this gets your mind off the dis- the infinite distractions that we all have. And in today's world, everybody knows that adult men have what? Well, they have their hobbies, don't they? And they get lost in them, and they spend fantastic amount of time but this type of research this type of bible study gets you in the word that's the point because joe is quite correct do you really believe that all things are possible with god whether you like it or not this is what he states he states that he sits upon his throne And then he throws a chapter at you in the Bible that says, he sits upon the heavens. And then, he gives you a chapter that says, he does a terrestrial incursion and impacts Mount Paran. Now, that being the case, ladies and gentlemen, you can take this to the bank. Don't you have the wherewithal to realize That on his track through the heavens, as he has left his son, looking as it had been slain, standing in the midst of the living creatures, in the midst of the throne, he's left him there. He could prepare any place for you before he gets to Mount Paran. So let me ask you that one more time. Are you so sure in your heart of hearts, ladies and gentlemen, you believe that God can do whatever he wants? Do you believe all things are possible through him? Is that really what you believe? Really? With that thought, Brian, what's your opening comments on this? Is it too fringe? Are you frustrated uh, with me? Is it possible? Is it not possible? Uh, what's your thoughts, Bri? 
Well, all considering this very specific uh, possible locative takes us someplace into a realm of an area that I've been looking down quite deeply here for numerous years now. And it's almost ironic we keep coming back full circle to this uh, this very space in the sky. And uh, to me, this one makes a lot more sense, but that's just my personal take as far as uh, that is concerned. All right, well, I don't know what to say about that. You think this is more probable than the than Europa. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm 50-50. Uh, the things that go on in Europa, it obviously has a C. You bring it into an orbit relative to the Earth distance from the sun. And, well, the one thing required is water. So, but then I look at Vega. And, ladies and gentlemen, I've been looking at Vega for Two decades. Do you know, it's... I don't know. I think I'm 50-50. Joe, you looked into this star, Vega. Uh, what did you find? Is it special in any way? Or is it just a normal star? Is it a binary star? Uh, what information did you find out physically about this star? Um, oh, goodness. I don't have... The one I wanted to have pulled up, um, I know it is the uh, fifth brightest star uh, in the, uh, well, in the heavens. Um, the one that I did have pulled up right at the moment was the, uh, oh, that uh, Universavery or Universer, however you pronounce the, uh, the one which kind of gets more into the uh, mythological um, version of it. Let's see. Five years. Um, it just kind of gives uh, a little bit of information here. Uh, fifth brightest star in the sky, uh, third brightest visible from uh, the mid-northern parts of the Earth um, after uh, Arcturus and uh, Sirius, um, which is interesting that it's uh, opposite of Sirius. Um, in the places like uh, New York, Madrid, um, the star sets for about seven. Let's see, sets up uh, for about seven uh, hours every day. Um, but in uh, Canada and Alaska, it never sets. Uh, distance between Vega and Earth is twenty-five light years, and it is a bluish white, which distinguishes it from other stars. Uh, about a tenth of the sun's age. Um, see its uh, size and speed. Uh, it, it. I thought it was interesting that uh, that this thing is. Uh, let's see. They were estimating uh, basically it's spinning at what ninety percent of its. Uh, uh, I guess of its maximum velocity, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, they were thinking that it's it has quite a bulge. At its uh, equator, um, let's see. The age is determined uh, between 500 and 625 years, which is believed to be about 
it, half of its life. It's they're, they're, uh, scientists are thinking that uh, it's it's going to burn out uh, or become a uh, red giant uh, quite quickly, um, rather than the uh, our, uh, the uh, our our Earth or our uh, our Sun, I should say. Um, See, surface temperature is uh, 17,000 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is almost two times more the surface temperature of our sun. Um, and then it takes about uh, 27 days to rotate on its axis. Uh, our sun does, but uh, Vega takes a mere 12.5 hours. So it's really going fast. <clears throat> Did you find any peculiarities with uh, normally on a star we have concrete data but when you take a look at Vega a lot of things are obscure did you find out uh, as to why that is uh, do we have problems seeing it or what is the deal with that uh, it, it seems that uh, it, it it kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, the different uh, stories of mythology but uh, it seems like there's a uh, Oort cloud uh, in front of it, for at least from our uh, vantage point. Well, so prophetically speaking, you're saying it's in a great cloud. Correct? Right. Correct. That's exactly what I saw. Uh, now, back then, two decades ago, uh, they said this outright. They said we're having trouble uh, determining whether it has any planets with it. I mean, any satellites at all. And as we improved uh, our optics with telescopes, lo and behold, there was a reason why. It's in the midst of a great cloud. And prophetically speaking, that's off the charts, ladies and gentlemen, because you know all about the great cloud of witnesses, don't you? So, with that being said, let's pass this off to the bride. Brian, what do you know about this star, Vega? Well, one thing quick to add into some things you just pointed out. Um, I've been doing a quick precursory search because I noticed in the standard Wikipedia article you do have the possibility of uh, planets being in uh, the region around Vega. And from what I'm seeing here, they have found uh, – okay, here's an article that just came out in July, but uh, – They've got asteroid belts that they have found out there uh, recently, as far back as uh, 2013. There was talk of it in 2003, and now I had just found a uh, article that came up here from July of uh, 2018. And now this is state in September 2016, but uh, moon, supermoon, planets of the solar system, and star Vega, brightness and size. So. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but nonetheless, it has a probability that this uh, system does have planets uh, possibly around it. So, and, you know, this uh, article here from Daily Mail from 2013 even states, and even its own Earth twin. So it's it's a possibility that they're still considering, obviously, as we explore more and more in space, we learn more on a continual basis. But to break this down into some of the uh, quick uh, lore here associated with uh, 
Vega and the surrounding star systems. Um, I'm going to break this down real quick. And one of the big things to point out here, something we've talked about a lot in the past, it's uh, vulture symbolism that's associated with this uh, constellation itself. Um, if that's okay, if I go into that, or if you guys want to interject anything before I move into that portion. Oh, no. Go right ahead. Jump right on in, Bri. All right. In Greek, Hellenic sky lore, no less than three constellations were identified with the symbol of a vulture. These were Cygnus, Lyra, and Achilla. All three constellations are found in the same area of the sky. Their brightest stars, Deneb, which is a Cygni, Vega, a Lyra, and Altair, a Aquila, forming what is known as the Summer Triangle, a familiar sight in the northern night sky throughout the summer months. Greek mythology equated these three constellations with, among other things, the three Stymphalian birds that were sent against Hercules in his sixth labor. The association is confirmed by the fact that all three asterisms are located in the vicinity of the constellations of Hercules. In Mesopotamian Star-Lord, three similar birds attacked the god Marduk, and these two were personified in the night sky as the constellations of Cygnus, Lyra, and Aquila. With the knowledge that the Greeks identified Marduk with Hercules, it becomes clear that the myth of the Stymphalian birds originated in Mesopotamia, where all three constellations were identified as winged creatures as early as the 3rd millennium BC. The Stymphalian birds, collectively known as the Stymphaliids, or harpies, are said to have been winged monsters with the faces of women, the bodies of vultures and claws upon their hands. The fact that they were thought to be monstrous vultures confirms their link with the constellations in question, which are all identified as vultures. Vulture Cadence, the falling vulture in the case of Cygnus and Lyra, and Vultura Volens, the flying vulture in the case of Aquila. So I can stop there, but nonetheless, folks, you should recognize the fact that this is tied in with a lot of things we've covered many, many times here in the past. So handing it back over to you guys. Well, most certainly, because that that just screams, of course, Operation Eagle's Wings. Uh, it just You and I have talked about this before. We've talked about the Eagle Vultures, of course. Well, uh, case in point, we did that one show, and uh, that's what your uh, Twitter banner is, is that very uh, Vulture Eagle. So we've done massive amount of work on that before. But ladies and gentlemen, this is this is all tied up with, well, all sorts of birds in this area of sky, no doubt about it. And all kinds of biblical crossovers and connotations to this. Now, I want you to consider this, ladies and gentlemen. I'll just share this little tidbit with you. Vega is very special, and it is tied directly to Sirius, which you have heard the Brian and I speak about many times, the star Sirius. Of course, I'm sure most of you remember that it is the Dagon tribe that obtained information about Sirius. It was absolutely impossible. They couldn't have. But ladies and gentlemen, we have the strange epitaph 
that Christ gives himself the Alpha and the Omega. Now, just so we all understand, that is, in English, he literally said the A and the Z. Those, as you all are well aware of, mathematical terms. All higher math came from the Greeks. That's why when you go, of course, you have the pi symbol, and you can go on and on and on. All mathematical symbols are Greek. Everyone knows this. This is common knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get into uh, the machining process, you have to realize that when you talk about axes in a machining process, you're talking about going forward and back, up and down, left and right. No one understand this. We are not static in the heavens. We are moving. Our solar system is coming from a place, and it's going to a place. Let me put it like this. The highway that our solar system is traveling is coming from Sirius, and it's going to Vega. So, if Christ the King was meaning the Alpha and Omega as purely mathematical terms, he was speaking of where you come from and where you're going. Now, with that in mind, that really does get the gears turning. Now, very few people... Know this, understand this, that the solar system is moving, just like the planet Earth moves around the sun. The sun and the entire solar system is traveling. We don't just set in the heavens, we move, we're in motion. Now, thinking about that, it really throttles the entire topic of why... The information was delivered to the Dagon people about Sirius. More importantly, they would have known and understand, whoever delivered this information, that where planet Earth was going was Vega. So, when you step back and think about the last program that we did, the Alpha and the Omega, of course now you can understand that the Alpha would have been planet Earth, there would have been only one Omega in that transit system. And NASA already has the mathematics to show you. Jupiter, in fact, did a grand tack, was stopped and pulled back out into its place by the father star, Saturn. This is all... The math is already done. NASA's already published it. When you understand that, guess what? It means the Alpha and the Omega. That's right, Jupiter. That's why we looked to one of the moons of Jupiter. But now when you back up and get a grander perspective, he could really only be referring to himself as being one place. Vega. So, that tends to rattle the cage. It pushes the limits. But you have to believe what he said first. You have to believe what he said first. That 
all things are possible with Him. All things. But yet, we get stuck in this scientific rut that, no, Jupiter's where it's supposed to be, and this, that, and the other. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, God made it all. Have you all forgotten that? He can do whatever He wants. He is the law. You know, I was asking my children this the other day. Why did God make one of the commandments, Thou shalt not steal? My children just looked at each other. Well, what do you mean, Daddy? Why did He say that? Can you take from Him? They all start chuckling. Well, no. So why did He say it? Every single one of them put their eyes to the floor. He is the Lord God. And the law is whatever He says. Have we all forgotten that? With that in mind, when you take a look and consider this, it begins to blow your mind. It begins to really push the envelope as far as eschatology is concerned. Because like I stated... You can look this up for yourself because it was written thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. This is what he says. He says he sits upon his throne. He tells you that right now his son is looking as a lamb as it had been slain. Standing in the midst of the living creatures, in the midst of the throne. He tells you... He's going to get up and set upon the heavens and ride the cloud to planet Earth, leaving his son there. This generates in the heavens a span of about 30 minutes of silence. In this trek, he prepares a place for the woman to be taken. And he does so exactly like he did after the two-year waiting period after the flight from Egypt. Now, at that point in time, we know strange things were going on. Why did their clothes not wear out? Why can archaeologists not find proof of that many people being in the wilderness anywhere remotely close to the state of Israel. Why? Why does God use strange language like Alpha and Omega? Well, let me translate it to you. He says the end of the heavens and the end of the earth. What did he mean mathematically? The Alpha and Omega. Now, we know that the children of Israel was tested in complete and utter ignorance. They didn't know the law. They didn't know anything. Nothing. They knew nothing. We as Christians, because he has secured for us the Bible, his holy word, in two alpha numerical languages, you should know everything. You should believe everything. That being the case, when he says 10 days of testing, oh, I think the limits of all of us, and I mean spiritually, physically, and mentally, 
are going to be throttled. They're going to be throttled. Now, I hope we've put this into the right perspective for you. God can do whatever he wants. Now, I know most of you have never heard any of this before. You've heard plenty of other things, though, haven't you? You've heard plenty of, well, distractions. Especially right now. I mean, I've re received a plethora of emails and messages asking when we're going to talk about voting. I don't cast my lot with the wicked. You can take that to the bank. We're not going to talk about that. Don't care about it. You are going to be tested, and I mean your testing is going to be throttled. If you're hoping for a testing as light as the children of Israel received, you better get your trays in the upright position and fasten your seatbelts. That's what you need to do. So, looking at Christ's calling himself the Alpha and Omega in purely mathematical terms, boy, opens up the mind. Brian, why don't you jump here, jump on here, and share with us a little bit. Well, it seems like you've ran across a whole lot more information from your favorite author. Well, let me take that back. I don't know if he's your favorite, but Andrew Collins. Uh, I hope he's faring well. I haven't checked on him in a while, but uh, Facebook is rather to the point it doesn't even work. Uh, Brian, with me, it just sits there and spins as it tries to load advertisements, and I'm sitting there scratching my head. I did so at lunch. I tried to get on Facebook, and it just sat there and spun because it was trying to load all kinds of advertisements on my personal page. I was not on the the news feed I was on my personal page, so it shouldn't have had any advertisements, and it just sat there and spun. It wouldn't load for me, so I'm hoping that Andrew is faring well, but share with us some of the information uh, that you come across. All right. Well, I'm going to start with one aspect to sort of lead into the other one because this is something I noticed in one of the uh, one of the articles that you guys had uh, brought up, and... Um, and this has to do with Vega, the shape of the star, and the fact that it's seen as being egg-shaped. It's not spherical like a typical star is. Now, immediately when I saw that, my mind started going to one place. And sure enough, Andrew, in a way, comes in and confirms this, even though I'm not certain if he's maybe caught on to this or not. But one thing that, if you know anything about the... Um, the ancient Egyptian cosmology with the uh, the Benben bird and the uh, or the Benben stone, the uh, Benu, the bird of creation in uh, Helopolis tradition, perched on the primeval hill or mound of creation, synonymous with the Benben stone. Well, of course, you have an egg that is associated with this here. And uh, to take a quote from Andrew's latest book, The Cygnus Key. Uh, this ethnological exercise tells us that Cygnus, often identified as a celestial swan or goose, and also an ibis, was once universally perceived as the womb of a primordial mother that gave birth to the sun, sometimes in the form of a sun egg. All right, folks, 
when you realize that Vega, when you look at its appearance, it appears as a sun egg, because what is a sun? It's a star. This breaks down to being the same thing. Now, this goes into further information here. Um, I'm going to start here um, with the section that's subtitled A Pure Soul. Others followed Poole in identifying the Bennu bird with Cygnus, including English mythologist and poet Gerald Massey. He wrote the Egyptian Bennu in the tree corresponded to Cygnus as the swan of the Greeks, the eagle of the Romans, and the peacock of the Hindus. Now, I'm going to stop there and explain this, folks, real quick. This becomes important when you understand the Yazidis' belief system in Malik Taos, the peacock angel, that they name Azazel. You've got a strange correlation all of a sudden coming into the mix with how the Hindus view this uh, star. Now, moving forward, Poole, however, went further recognizing the one name given to the Bennu bird or phoenix was Rakit or Ruk, modern Rek, a bird of undefined character with human hands, which signified a pure soul. This he compared linguistically with the mythical bird of Persian and Arab tradition called the Ruk, Anka, or Sermug. Citing the fact that, like the phoenix, the Anka was connected with specific time cycle, the former, according to Herodotus, being 500 years, and the latter 1,700 years. Poole noted the similarity of Reket and Ruk to Ruk is very striking. It suggested the northern origin behind all these traditions of a mythological bird associated both with the mysteries of the soul and with occurring cycles of time. Important here is that Ruk or Ruk of Arabic fable has long been identified with Cygnus. Indeed, Ruk is the Arabic name for Delta Cygni, the winged star corresponding to the Great Pyramid in the Cygnus Giza correlation. The word Ruk might well derive from the name of Akkadian stormbird, Uraka, although this name also has been proposed in connection with the neighboring constellation of Lyra, which is where Vega is part of. As Poole rightly surmised the word ruck, Arabic, for a monstrous bird or bird of mighty wing, as big as an albatross can be written wreck, just like the Egyptian bird with human hands or even rakam, meaning a bird shape like a vulture. The same word is also found in Hebrew and Aramaic, which like Arabic are a West Semitic language. Here rakam or rakam means carrion vulture and even Egyptian vulture. While similarly spelled rekam means womb or uterus. And folks, this is found in the Bible from, just a minute here, let me pull up this list. The spelling first starts in H7355 for that word. This specific one, H7355, is to love, love deeply, have mercy, be compassionate, have tender affection, have compassion. You go on to 7356. This is womb. It can also mean compassion. 7357 means belly, Raham, which is a proper name. And H7358, a womb. So I'll stop there with how that I just dropped. That is absolutely off the charts, ladies and gentlemen, that, well... We seem to be bringing in a couple of birds into the mix 
that is prophetically off the charts, looking at this any which way you can. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like a womb. That's exactly what it looks like. And so many things associated with Vega, it, it really is off the charts. How many things have been discovered, well, because of Vega? Um, the red shift, blue shift, um, that was all determined off of Vega. It is amazing, the amount of stuff. Um, astronomically speaking, it, it, it's just off the charts. Now, we haven't even really talked about the simple fact that in the Bible, this constellation uh, is a lyre, of course, that ten-stringed instrument that is all over Bible prophecy. It's even in the book of Asaph. It's absolutely amazing uh, to, well, look at this, that well, this star is also, of course, called the part of the Summer Triangle. It's amazing uh, to look at, to study physically, just physically. You know, Joe mentioned the simple fact that uh, it's rating 90% of its critical rotation speed. Well, meaning that, well... You know those 10 days of testing, right? Well, that's right. If it was to spin just 10% faster, it'd fly apart. And it creates this, well, egg or womb in the heavens that is extremely obscured because it's great cloud that is around it. You know... Joe brought up that its mean surface temperature is 17,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, all of you know and have heard Brian and I talk about, well, 17 in the Bible. The simple fact that, well, this pertains directly to the rod of iron. You all should immediately know and recognize that. The tale of the two sticks. Do you all recall that? I have spoken about it many times. But, in case you have it, let's just read a little bit out of this uh, from Ezekiel chapter 37. You, son of man, take one stick and write on it Judah, and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for the house of Israel his companions, and join them for you one to another into one stick. Now, take note. I've asked many biblical scholars this. Well, what's the two names on the two sticks, Judah and Israel? No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. It's Judah and Joseph. That's the names on the sticks. So, when you really take a concerted look at this, your faith can be throttled. When you really take a look into that chapter, well, ladies and gentlemen, Joe, 
Do you have anything so far you want to add? You've been quiet for a while as Brian and I rambled on. Well, I rambled. But uh, anyway, what's your thoughts thus far on Brian and I's comments, Joe? Oh, my goodness. Um, Mind-blowing. I, um, I know Brian was uh, talking about, well, the, the birds. And let's see, the... Other one that kind of pops up here is, uh, I believe it's pronounced uh, Columba constellation. Um, let's see, it says here uh, early third century BC. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to butcher some names here. I'm sorry, my pronunciation is always pretty awful. I can usually barely pronounce my own last name. Uh, Aratus, uh, uh, I believe. Uh, Astronomical uh, poem, uh, Phenomena lines uh, gives the lines is uh, of this poem is uh, three six three sixty seven three seventy and uh, three forty eight through uh, three eighty five mentions faint stars where uh, Columba is now but does not fit any name or figure to them. And uh, this article kind of goes on. Let's see, uh, let's see eight. Let's see, 1592 A.D., uh, Petrus, uh, here we go, uh, Planicus, well, I'm going to butcher that name, uh, Plancius uh, is the best I can come up with, uh, first depicted Columbia on a small celestial uh, planisphere of a large wall map named uh, Columba, uh, no, uh, Noe, um, Noah's Dove. Uh, to differentiate the uh, uniform stars of a large uh, constellation, Canis Major. Uh, Columbia, or Columbia, uh, Columba is also uh, shown on uh, his smaller world map uh, of uh, 1594 on our early Dutch celestial globes. Plancus, uh, Plancus, originally named uh, the constellation Columba, uh, Noichi, uh, Noah's dove, referring to the dove that gave Noah the information the great flood was receding. This name is found early in the 17th uh, century celestial globes and star atlases. Well, Joe, why is this Noah's dove coming up? Why are you bringing that up exactly? What makes it relative or pertinent to Vega? Um, that's a really good question. Um, goodness, you, you, what, what comes to mind is uh, one the uh, uh, if you are standing on Vega, uh, looking at the Earth, it is uh, in the uh, uh, constellation uh, Columba. So, let me get this right. From the vantage point of Vega, Earth is located in Noah's Dove. D I did hear you correct, right? Correct. Bry, your comments. Well, uh, it would make, uh, I guess, perfect sense in light of what the Bible says concerning... Well, I'm a couple of different floods because I'm sitting here staring at something right now, pondering Revelation 12's 
flood that has poured out of the dragon's mouth as I sit here and look at the constellations, how they're set up in the sky. Well, please do elaborate. Uh, please elaborate. Well, we stop and consider what I've brought up about this ancient concept of Nuit representing the woman in the heavens, which is essentially the galactic rift. If you go out into the nighttime and you look up in the sky, you'll see a great big stream of stars going through the center of the universe, basically, which is that galactic plane, galactic rift. And when you look at the position of Draco in relation to, for instance, Vega, which we spoke of before being that womb-shaped, egg-shaped star, Draco's head is right above Lyra. It's right above Vega. Now, just to me, on a logical standpoint, isn't the dragon a lot closer here than it is to Virgo? Because you've got an entire constellation between Draco and Virgo. And it just, uh, you know, if you look further on down, if you keep going across, um, looking through, obviously you've got Aquarius with the water bearer, but... I don't know. My mind's thinking in a different direction here as to possibly what this flood could be represented in the heavens at the same time. And could it be the galactic rift in and of itself also has a role to play in this idea? Well, maybe I'll share something right now that... Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time I've given this information publicly. You all know that I studied astronomy and an institution of higher learning. You've all heard me and Brian talk about that there is a specific time of year that Noah's North Pole, because we have those coordinates, ladies and gentlemen, because, well, we believe the Bible God's holy word. When you believe it, you can calculate exactly where Noah's North Pole is because he's not afraid to give you that information. He's just not afraid to do it, so he just does. You can calculate a date every year that Noah's North Pole passes right under Nodius III. That is the third knot in Draco's tail. Now, talking about the machining process and, well, X, Y, Z axes or axis of motion... Boy, I'm real kind of hesitant to spill these beans, but we're going to get her done. There is a vertical line in the heavens, ladies and gentlemen, that that area will pass directly under Vega. The time between Noah's North Pole passing under Nodius Three, and the time when the vertical hits Vega is 21 days. Now take a deep breath. If any of you have listened to my son and I's program on Christian conspiracy theory, you're going to understand when I mention the Einstein-Rosen bridge and Ezekiel's wheels. We've already talked about Ezekiel chapter 37 so far. If an Einstein-Rosen bridge was to open exactly 21 days later, 
Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I can calculate exactly where that Einstein-Rosen bridge would open up on this planet. Now, the closest geographical location that you could um, look at to find information on this particular spot is an island. And that island is off the coast of North Korea. When you bring up a map, you will see three very strange little islands that have little, well, it looks like roads leading to the mainland. That's right, I've done all these calculations. I can send them to you. No problem. And when we think about that politically, boy, if you was going to hide something somewhere, <laughs> North Korea is the number one place to do it. Now, what I stated to you has probably rattled your cage a little bit, and you're thinking to yourself, what on earth is an Einstein-Rosen bridge? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wormhole. And yes, that could possibly mean exactly what Ezekiel's wheels did. And the cherubim, as you know, passed through the Einstein-Rosen Bridge, because their spirits was in the wheels. But you have to look at things a little bit differently. I suggest that you get a hold of that episode that my son and I did on lion men, interdimensional assassins in the Bible. You might want to take a look at it and realize the ramifications of what I just said. Now, time is going to be topsy-turvy, meaning... That our orbital velocity may be in flux. Our revolutions per day could be in flux. But now, in this time, and let us not forget what Daniel actually states. He said there's time, times, and the dividing of time. So in this time, being... 24 hours in a day and 365 days in a year, I can calculate where it would be, and I just told you. I told you that Vega, exactly 21 days after Noah's North Pole had passed underneath Nodius III, or the third knot in Draco's tail, an Einstein-Rosen bridge could open up between Vega and in the midst of these three little islands that have roadways going to the mainland in North Korea. Just bring up a map of North Korea and, well, look to uh, look off her western coast and just start going up the shoreline. I'm sure you'll find it. So, now I've probably really got the gears turning, but Cho bringing up the simple fact that Wait a minute. <laughs> let's, let's really push the envelope here. Christ mentions a very strange thing in the New Testament. He talks about, well, a sheepfold. But he mentions it in a way that has always confused people. It really has. In John, the 10th chapter, verse 16, it's stated as thus. Now, I have sheep with 
which are not of this fold, these also I must lead. They will hearken to my voice. And there, now, now listen, what did he say? And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So, when I look at this, there as in the other fold. And if we were to be relocated to Vega, and we meet the sheep that is of that fold, then they ask us, riddle us, from whence came you? Joe would look up into the heavens and see, do you see the dove there? We came from the dove. And I bet all of your jaws just hit the floor. Let me read it one more time. Let's, let's switch up versions. That was from the Thompson. Let's try the New American Standard Bible. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Let's try the KJV. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. You see how that reads completely different from the Thompson? You might want to check that in the Adidal Regia. You might want to check that in the Delich New Testament. You might want to tear that verse apart. Now, it seems to me that we seem to be covering a couple of different types of birds. Could it be prophetically impregnated into the Bible, God's Holy Word, that, well, obviously the Holy Spirit is represented by the dove. What if the Father and the Son is represented by two other types of birds in the Scripture? Brian, your thoughts? That's, uh, how would you put that? That's some heavy stuff there. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's definitely heavy duty. Let's get Joe's take on it. Joe, your commentary, please. Commentary. Um, wow, that was, uh, I, yeah, I've got some pondering to do. It's not that, uh, well, I, I love when it all makes sense. I just, I guess I need a, a just, just a little time to kind of put a couple of different uh, things together on that in my, in my melon to kind of get that to congeal a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, like, I guess, Brian, I would agree with Brian. That was pretty heavy duty. Wow. So all of you, just, so both of you just stand me up. That's that's classic. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about this island a little bit. Uh, that little bitty island, the closest location, uh, is uh, called Jukdo Island. Jukdo Island. Uh, there in North Korea. It's very interesting to take a look at. And as a matter of fact, uh, why don't we just do this? Um, I can send Brian and Joe the link so they can they can peer and uh, see what I see. And uh, let's get their commentary on that. Now, take note, gentlemen, that this is North Korea, so they're not going to give you the information in English. Okay? So it's going to be written in Korean. 
But why don't you both take a look at the map and, uh, well, as I uh, as I offer some more uh, some more commentary here, I guess. But it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen, that if you were going to pick a spot on this planet, but really there wouldn't be too much snooping into, that's where you'd go. Uh, you would uh, pick North Korea, no doubt about it. Now, wait a minute. Uh, Brian just sent me a message. Uh, Brian, why don't you give me some commentary on the verse you just sent me and why? Please? Well, I've been uh, looking over. I sent you guys that link earlier that had all the uh, words with that spelling for Rechem, that word for vulture and womb. And as we were pondering over uh, what I just brought up there before you kind of blew the top of our heads off, um, Job 38 verse 8 also brings up something very interesting, or who shut up the sea with doors when it burst out, it came forth from the where? From the womb. So I was just uh, kind of going through these verses here, and that one really stood out to me So in you're- light of... So you're saying that this location, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, let me read that again, okay? Uh, This is from the KJ3. Of course, I put a lot of time in on that translation. Or who shut up the sea with doors? When it burst out, it came forth from the womb. What Brian is saying that this verse could be the answer as to why I wanted to calculate where an Einstein-Rosen bridge would open up after we'd been kicked off our axis. After we went back to a zero-degree axis. Like I said, let me state that one more time. 21 days later, the vertical passes directly under Vega on one set of coordinates. It is off the western, northern shore of North Korea. Now, with everything else that God states is going to happen on the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. Wow. Um, Brian, if I blew your head off, you just blew mine off. Uh, because I hadn't thought to put two I – I mean, that means I really dropped the ball after two decades. Uh, I never thought to search for verses that would actually say something to this effect. I mean, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. You know, the great escape happened through the Red Sea, correct? Well… The only way, ladies and gentlemen, to pre uh, how do I say that to create a more grandiose thing is not to be well delivered through the sea, but be delivered in the sea. Just have God move the sea, and that's where we gather before we're relocated. Joe, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, I. When I, when I read, you know, when Brian popped that up, I, I actually kind of chuckled just because I was I was marveling. I was just uh, I, I love I love when that happens. Um, 
it, I don't know. To me, it's got Isaacono written all over it, just because uh, one, you have, uh, you know, you had I brought the little article on uh, Columbo, which um, gives you well Noah's dove, and then you know, like you just said, of the parting of the Red Sea, and here we are reading about sea again. Um, wow. Um, yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's really, it's really con- connecting a lot of dots. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I think I'm kind of 50, 50 on where, you know, from the last show, uh, I think it's e- either one is, is a hundred percent plausible to me at this point. Uh, where God would relocate uh, the those awaiting their brideship. Well, let me ask you this, Joe. Before we done these episodes, had this thought ever even crossed your mind that there could be a possible extraterrestrial? Now, let me explain that, ladies and gentlemen. Terrestrial means Earth. Okay, that's that's all it means. Joe, before these programs did. Had that thought ever crossed your mind that that well God can do what He wants to do, and He states He's going to ride the cloud through the heavens from the throne room, and He could prepare any place He wanted to. He could literally prepare Timbuktu if He felt like it. Had it ever occurred to you to look on a grander scale to consider an extraterrestrial possible relocation event? You know, I'll be a hundred percent honest and say no, absolutely, I, I had not. I was, uh, I, so many things that I, I, I was kind of marveling at, uh, even just what he did with the children of Israel. You know, with their their clothes not wearing out and and uh, well, manna falling. You know, they, they were they were a hundred percent taken care of, and, and to me, you know, I, I just. Marveled at, 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 I guess, some simple things. I guess they would be simple compared to uh, a, you know, like you said, an extraterrestrial location. That that was, you know, I think it's, uh, well, I think it's beautiful that 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 demonstration is marvelous as it is that he what he did with the children of Israel of, of how he led them out, and and as uh, mind blowing as it probably was to them. And and even to me, you know, when you you, you really uh, just believe what he wrote, uh, it, it's breathtaking. But to uh, I, you know, I just he keeps as we move into this and and, and do these studies, you just it just it just keeps uh, a, a greater expanse. I guess would be what the, the term I'm thinking. Brian, what about you? Um, of course, you spent a lot of time in your life, um, well, outside the ecclesia, shall we say. Had you ever heard any things like this? Now, I know you and I have talked before about the um, the Heaven's Gate cult that thought they were going to be relocated to a spaceship. But have you ever run across uh, any... Tales, uh, probably new age, I would think, that talked about a possible extraterrestrial relocation. Well, this is the uh, 
the one thing that, and it was personal on my end, uh, which was referred to as the Ashtar Command. Now, I had a event that happened several, several years back. I mean, we're talking probably 20-some years ago where I had this vision that showed all these ships coming down on New York City and just causing absolute pandemonium and taking people away. And I, you know, I didn't know what to think of it. When I had this vision, it just, there was all kinds of strange, uh, symbolic things going on in there. And, you know, as the years progressed, I kept coming across people that had the same vision, that had tattoos of this and all kinds of weird stuff. And I'm just going, what in the world is going on here? And it's, it is that same concept of people being pulled out of here and taken away from here. But, of course, it was obviously by these ships. And, you know, I'd come across rumor, and one of the books that I, I was written up on, um, stuff to do with, I think, uh, MK Ultra, and the possibility that um, one of these spots here in the United States, I can't remember it off the top of my head, was running some kind of project where they were putting out um, information on the wavelength where people that were um, – meditating or doing whatever we're able to pick up on this image but you know that's a little hard to substantiate because obviously without something like that being declassified there's no way to know if it's true but what i do know is true is there were multiple people having the same weird vision why i don't know but that's kind of my personal run-in with uh something along those lines years back well Ladies and gentlemen, let's, let us consider this, that by 2005, the Spitzer Space Telescope had produced high-resolution infrared images of the dust around Vega. It was shown to extend out to 330 AU, or astronomical units. Now, the estimated total mass of this dust was massively larger than the entire mass of the Earth. The production of the dust would require collisions between asteroids and populations corresponding to what? Yes, the Kuiper Belt around the Sun. This dust is more likely created by debris disk around Vega rather than a protoplanetary disk as was earlier thought. When did the 40 years start? What happened? Ah, yes. The cloud ascended off of the tabernacle. What is the name of the tabernacle that you're going to? God tells you, you all should know. That brings into really stark clarity, much like the Spitzer Space Telescope did in 2005, <laughs> about that cloud of many witnesses. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, what if it's God's plan to suck us all up into that cloud? Because if that cloud is an Einstein-Rosen bridge, and you're at this particular spot off the coast of North Korea, guess where you're going? You're going to go right through that cloud around Vega. Off the charts. Off the charts. Closing comments, gentlemen. Joe, you go first. Oh, goodness. Um, 
you know, I guess to kind of sum that up, uh, one of the one of the little things that I read it was uh, the the I believe it was the Japanese tale of of uh, these celestial bodies, and uh, that cloud I guess was represented by uh, I guess a flock of magpies, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, it it was kind of depicting two different lovers uh, coming together. And, uh, well, it just, it just kind of gave me that picture of the bride, uh, being carried across the threshold. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I thought the whole thing was, um, magnificent and, and absolutely beautiful just to ponder, uh, these things once again. So, um, yeah, I've got uh I've got a lot more to look at and a lot more to study, but uh absolutely breathtaking. Brian, your closing comments, please. Well, I mean, to sort of break this down. I mean, you've got you know, we have to start here in with uh as Matthew brought up, Noah's North Pole, which is gonna take you to Siberia. And the irony in all this is this is going to pull you back to ancient star lore that's going back as far back as we can possibly now trace to a group of people that happen to live in Siberia that brought this information from that region down into the Mediterranean and to the Mesopotamian civilizations speaking and teaching about sending people back from their origin, back to the stars, to these very places. Their entire cosmology was built off this idea. It was mirrored in the concept of the Egyptians. And now we hit that fast forward button and would look at all this in light of these ancient ideas. You really have to scratch your head at this point and go, none of this is coincidence. How did these ancient magi then carry all this information that far through history? And now here we sit right now looking at all this, pondering a question I think they've been pondering since quite some time back. So that's what I've got to add for now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll give you what you're looking for. The coordinates of this place off the coast of North Korea is 39.56 north, 125.23 degrees east. Now, if you'd like to know how I arrived at that calculation, you'd probably have to take some higher math classes and astronomy. But, I'd be more than happy to, uh, well, make a video of it, because I can, I guess. But, I think we've given you enough to get your attention away from your hobbies, or your, you know, distractions, your sports, or whatever it is you do. Look, the Bible is God's holy word. 
if you just take the time to look at how he wrote it, which is in two alphanumerical languages, Greek and Hebrew, you will come to the point where it will consume you. It's like a hunger. Ladies and gentlemen, I am... My wife was frustrated with me this morning because I was mad I had to stop what I was doing and go to work. On the way to work, what am I thinking about? What God said. On my breaks, I think about what God said. On the way home, I think about what God said. When I... Look... I literally go to sleep every single night pondering his word. Sometimes it's the letters. Sometimes it's the numbers. But ladies and gentlemen, turn your soap operas off. Whatever that is, baseball, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe it's fishing. Turn off your soap operas. Get away from the entertainment industry. Get away from it, and he will show you his wonders, because that's what, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is supposed to show you what is to come, and he really does want to, but not if you're too busy playing golf. It's not his fault. It's your fault. Whatever it is you do, I don't know, maybe it's Facebook time. I don't know. But whatever it is, start thinking of it as a soap opera. It's a soap opera. It's not real. His will for you is. The Holy Spirit is waiting for you to put down your hobbies and your distractions. If you'd like more information on that Einstein-Rosen bridge concept of Ezekiel's wheels... One more time, do a search for this, you'll find it. Lion men, interdimensional assassins in the Bible. You will get that on Christian Conspiracy Theory. That is the program that I and my son do together. Joe, how can people connect with you on the internet and uh, uh, your shows? What uh, because you host a couple of different shows on a couple of different formats. We need those. We need uh, uh, your Twitter, your Facebook, or whatever else you do. Uh, let everybody know all that information, please. All right. Yeah. Uh, I do uh, one on a different, uh, completely different platform called A Cup with Joe, where I try and lift up, uh, well, other ministries that the uh, Lord puts in front of me and uh, talk about, uh, well, various uh, topics uh, concerning God's holy word. Uh, the other one is ark building, uh, where uh, I and sometimes my uh, twin brother talk about building yourself a metaphorical ark to uh, out of God's 66 books, the uh, Bible, to uh, house your securities as these times grow darker. Uh, and then... Uh, Brother Matthew and I do one weekly called uh, Rapture Ruckus, where we, uh, well, we tell the truth and uh, throw out the, well, the lies. Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook uh, under uh, Joe Musidla, J-O-E-M-U-Z-Y-D-L-A dot nine, J Musidla, 
uh, on Twitter, and uh, those will be the two best places. All right, Brian, uh, all your contact information, social media sites, websites, the whole nine yards, please. All right, you can find me at The Bands of Time on Twitter, thebandsoftime.com, and com. Thanks for joining us. God bless.